Well, good morning once again. We're going to be in Nehemiah this morning. Uh, We're going to be reading from Nehemiah chapter 9. As we get started, I'm just mindful that uh, as the songwriter wrote, so God speaks to us in so many different ways, and one of it's through music, um, especially for me. And there's a song that says, it's our breath in, his, in our lungs, and, and we, owe that, we owe him praise and honor because it's his breath that's in our lungs. So we praise him and we give him glory for everything that we are. So we read through Jeremiah chapter 9. Um, in the beginning chapters, uh, book of Jeremiah, we see um, that people are bought back from, from Persia. Um, he had petitioned people for the wall, uh, to build the wall. And this is a city against much opposition that they had. And at the end of chapter 6, they finished building the wall. We're in chapter 9. Chapter 7 gives us a genealogy. And then chapter 8, um, the people asked Ezra to read them the Mosaic Law. And he read it for half of a day. They heard it. And then... That's what happens next in chapter 9. Read with me. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, it says, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. They stood there and were read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day, and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord, their God. Standing on the stairs were the Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani, and Kanani, who called with loud voices to the Lord, their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shabaniah, and Pethaniah said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, whom is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. God, we come before you today, Lord, as we get into your word, and we pray, Father, for uh, clarity. We pray, Father, that it fall on good ground, Lord. We pray, Father, that as we get into this word, Lord, that we would not only uh, learn and hear and understand and know, but that we would carry out what it says. Father, I pray that you go again before us as you always have, Lord, and do what only divinity can do. In your name we pray, amen, amen. So here we are, we're now on the hills of revival, That occurred because of the people, because of the people gathering together in a time of prayer, which included, hear this, self-examination, repentance, and confession. We see similar instances of this in Job chapter 1. We see it in uh, Joel chapters 1 and 13, as well as in in Jonah chapter 3. One of the things that they did during this time of prayer by the way, this whole chapter is prayer. Um, we're told one of the things they did was to put on what they call sackcloth. 
Um, and as they picked up the dust and they threw, they put on the sackcloth and they picked up the dust and they threw it on their heads. Um, the dust and the sackcloth represented two things in two very unique ways. First, it symbolized mourning. Sackcloth was material that was dark, it was rough, it's made of goat's hair. Um, it was often associated with the poor. Uh, in fact, it was uh, a sign of national distress. And check this out, it was also a sign of showing of a repentant heart. It was someone who had seen their sins and turned from them. Sackcloth also symbolized humility. It symbolized humility. It was a person's way of showing their absolute willingness to submit to God's will. It's like crying uncle. If you ever had to do that, I've had to do that several times growing up. Uh, I have five older brothers and I have a cousin that was, uh, let's just say he was a lot stronger than I was. And so many times, uh, he, at some point, I would have to cry uncle, which basically announced to the family, I submit, you know, I give up. My brothers would be hanging around, uh, all of them watching us, and we're wrestling on the floor back and forth. And at some point, it's like he had supernatural energy. Uh, I would just have to cry uncle. Then, of course, I got up and would talk a little trash, saying something like, you know, you're, you're lucky I'm tired. You know, I would have won if I wasn't tired. Um, but the point, they got to the point to where they were crying out here, telling God that they surrender. Uh, they said, we, we've, we've, have, we've sinned and all we want is you. Like the song says, take over. I need you to, I want you to take over. We see other instances of this as well in the Old Testament with Hezekiah, with Daniel, uh, with the elders of Jerusalem. In a nutshell, sackcloth and dust being thrown onto one's head was an outward sign of an inward condition. So I asked us today, what kind of clothes are you wearing today? Better yet, what kind of clothes should you be wearing? I'm not talking about whether you have Brandy Melville or Ann Taylor or The Gap or Levi's or, or what have you, but what kind of spiritual clothes should you be wearing given your current spiritual condition? Is it sackcloth? Uh, these men and women were moved to change their spiritual state in relationship with God. And verse three tells us why and brings us really to the heart of the message of what I would like to share with you all this morning. We're told in verse three that they were reading the book of the law and then something happened. This is what kicked off their responses in this chapter. Why is this important? Because if I was to translate that sentence today, it would say, because they were reading their Bibles. As, as uh, one leader would say, uh, they were in the book. They recognized the significance and impact of what they were reading and the signs of the things that their parents or their forefathers uh, had constantly failed to obey in keeping their covenant with God. So one of the reasons in which they failed to obey God's, um, God's commands is in the areas of their choices. They had opportunity to make good, green, or bad red choices. It's like, do I drive through a green light or do I drive through red lights? Make a decision. And as you know, if you've been driving for some time, you have to make those decisions pretty quickly. 
We're going to work backwards here a little bit as it tells the story a little bit better. But in verse 26, it reads, they were disobedient and they rebelled against you, it says. They put the law behind them. In other words, they, they didn't make the word of God the center of their lives. The, the, the center of their decision-making. As I thought about what to, what to share with you all this morning in the, in the five minutes that I got to think about it, uh, it, it goes on to say that they, uh, I, I thought about this. How are, we, how are we making our decisions? How are, are we based on the word of God? Or are we based on what someone told us? Right? So with gra- what grandma's always said. That's great if grandma was in the word. So it goes on to say that they killed your prophets and they commanded awful blasphemies. So let's just sort of recall their choices. Right? We'll, we'll turn the corner in a minute, but let's, let's, let's sit here for a second. Let's recall their choices. They made a decision to make a golden calf. That was a decision. They didn't have to. That was a the decision they made. They turned their backs to God. That was a the decision they made. They didn't put attention, they didn't pay attention to him until things got really bad. Anybody have that experience? Amen? Nobody? Somebody? Okay, I'll raise my hand. All right. They didn't pay attention until things got really bad. They became stiff-necked, or a better translation would be this. They became proud and haughty, right? We just read the, about haughtiness in our, um, our passage for our giving liturgy. Proverbs 16, uh, 18 says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. And the next, their decisions forced them to take paths in life that led them to places God never intended for them to be. Have you ever had your decisions lead you to a place you have never gone, you should have never gone? Has that ever happened to you? Um, I remember driving... um, I want to say this is probably maybe two years ago. I was driving my family to a fish farm in Calistoga. Um, and my, my dad would be shaking his head right now listening to that sentence because fish farms, as you know, are not real fishing. Um, don't tell my kids that, but it's not real fishing, but it's super fun, right? Um, so, you know, my dad was an average fisherman, so, so real fishing, I, I remember getting on, um, you know, going to DC fishing. He would take me out on the deep sea and uh, I pretty much, we'd be out there for five or six hours. And probably five of those six hours, I was uh, curled up in a ball, hacking and, and sleeping pretty much most of the time. But I loved to still go because I got to spend time with him. Um, but they, it, it's, like, it's sort of like that when you think about, um, the, you know, the fish farm. As we're, as we're driving down to the fish farm, we're, we're getting there. And um, I start realizing that I, I don't think we're, we're going the right way. Um, but you know what? Even though I, I, I knew that, I kept going, <laughs> right? I kept going. <laughs> so we're going down the road, and, and the road's changing right before my eyes, right? It's, uh, we had this nicely painted, paved road, and all of a sudden it got rocky and bumpy with a multitude of no pre- trespassing signs, Right? <laughs> Yet I refused to turn around until we made the call to the other family that was with us. And Tasha put them on speakerphone. And the first thing they said to us was, the staff at the fish farm said that once you get to the no trespassing signs, you've gone too far. 
I've gone too far that day. That's what's happening here in this passage. They have seen all the no trespassing signs and they've gone too far and their trespasses took them on a detour and created a cycle of sin that they would eventually get their way out of due to God's mercy and compassion. But it didn't have to be that way. That was a route that wasn't meant for them to take. So what did that cycle look like? I, I, I call these the did not statements. I won't spend uh, much time in them. Um, but this verse was referred to a few weeks ago. So in verses 16 uh, and 17, if you read with me, it says, uh, but, they, but they, our forefathers, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked, and in their rebellion, re- appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, a gracious God, and compassion, and slow to anger, and abounding in love. Right? That's God. But I love these did not statements. The next verse says, and you did not desert them. It says you had compassion on them, but you did not abandon them. In verse 20, it it goes on and it reads that uh, you did not cease to guide them. In fact, he gave them his spirit and instructed them. He didn't withhold his provision. He gave them water for their thirst. That's the kind of God that we serve. Verse 21, it says that their clothes didn't wear out, neither did their feet get swollen. Now, as we look at verse 27, again, I said we're going to be sort of working backwards here a little bit. But as we look at verse 27, it says, so it says eventually that they handed him, you know, them over to their enemies. That's the sort of the judgment, the, 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 the consequence part of that, that cycle, right? He handed it over them to, to, to oppress them. And check it out. When they were oppressed, they cried out to you from heaven. You heard them. I shared this with you uh, before. God always hears you. And in his great compassion, you delivered them from the hand of their enemy. In his compassion, delivered them from the hand of their enemy. If we could stop here, that would be wonderful. But then we read what happens, and too often in the life of believers, we cry out, we repent, we're restored. But then what happens in verse 28? Verse 28, it says, but as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. What happens when God provides you with relief from your sin? You've confessed to him and to others. The trial is over. You, you saw the consequences, and now your finances are in order. Your marriage is back on track and flourishing. You're no longer codependent. Your pride is in check. The habit of foul language is known, and someone is keeping you accountable. And, you're, and, and your prayer life now is a real thing. You're listening to God again. But then what's next? He's given you that rest. He's forgiven you of your sin. You're feeling good. Hallelujah, it's over. But do you return back to it? Because his mercy and forgiveness are so easily felt, do we, do we return back to it? Or does he have to warn you again a short time later? Verse 29 tells us that he warned them. And then verse 30 says that they paid no attention to him. 
It's like they had their fingers in, his, in their ears. They, they were caught in this cycle of sin. So God again handed them over to, to their neighboring people, to their enemies. And then verse 31, it pretty much sums up how God works in your life and in mine if we track with him. Uh, it says, but in your great mercy... Your desire to relieve your suffering, you did not, there's another do not statement, you did not put an end to them or abandon them. For you, God, are gracious and merciful, God. Is anyone here thankful for his mercy? Are you thankful for the love and the peace and the joy that he gives you? Are you thankful for his compassion and his long suffering? I know sometimes we think uh, that he's, oh, yeah, he's long-suffering. I, I've seen that in, in my sister's life, and I've seen that in my brother's life, and I, I've seen that in my best friend's life, and I've seen that. But in your life, has he been long-suffering? I have to tell you, he's been long-suffering with everyone. You, got, you have to look a little bit deeper. Just because you're not experiencing the consequences of sin doesn't mean he hasn't been long-suffering. That is coming. Sometimes we experience it in the moment, Sometimes it's later on in life, but we do experience it. And so God's just loving, though. He just says, keep coming back to me. Stay on your knees. Keep coming to me. Come 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 to me. I'm thankful for his, his leniency. Thank you for his long suffering. This is why we saw these men and women leaders confessing sins in this prayer. Again, I told you that this chapter 9 is really just a prayer. We saw them confessing their sins for their forefathers as well, for, the, for those who were behind them. They separated from the foreigners, and if we bring it to our time, they separated from unbelievers, and they passed the microphone, if you will. This was a community prayer and a corporate confession of sin. Sometimes, sometimes, Churches have to do that in order to move forward and see the glory of God move in their midst. These believers, although flawed like you and I, understood God's mercy. Maybe to a fault as, as they and those before them kept repeating their sins. But the most important thing to remember is they confessed their sins for the betterment, listen, of the community. They confess their sins for the betterment of their relationship, their one-on-one relationship with God. They confessed. So let me ask you something. What, it's hypothetical. What if your confession of sin had direct impact on the congregational's health? What if you no longer hiding the sins in your life, bringing them to light through confession to God and to another person uh, would cause the church to flourish? You see, sin robs us of our joy, our peace, and it hinders our prayers. I was gonna read all these to you, but I'm just gonna tell you what they are and I'll have you, you can jot them down. Sin robs us of our joy, our peace, and it hinders our prayers. If you look at Matthew 6 and 6 and 618, 1 John 1, 16, 
First John chapter nine, it says, confess our sins. He's faithful to forgive our sins. Luke 8, 17, nothing's hidden that will not be disclosed. Nothing's concealed that will not be known or brought open. Uh, Psalm 66, 18 talks about cherishing sin in our heart. Lord, and, and how the Lord will not listen. First Thessalonians 5, 19, sin quenches the spirit. So what if? What if? So we have to stay before God. This is not something to make you leave today thinking, oh gosh. You should, be, you should leave here fired up to say, you know what? I just need to get before God. Maybe you did that this morning. Maybe you do that every day, perhaps. But maybe today in the quiet moment, even while you're sitting there, or maybe as you're driving home today, or as you get your prayer time this afternoon or this evening, or whenever that is, tomorrow morning, just get before him. God, is there anything? That's a, that's a prayer I love to pray because I'm, I, I don't want to get to a place where I don't, I, I don't think that I'm, that I'm sinning. The Bible tells us that we all sin. Right. So, so God, is there anything I'm not seeing? Anything that's not happy that makes you, makes you happy, that anything that should not be there. We need to repent. We need to confess our sins so we can have right standing with God because he commanded us to and because our sins affect those around us, our families, our church, our communities. I say say those words, we have to remember that confession should not be done out of us being scared of what God may do to us, but out of a brokenness that has been encouraged by the word of God, by a compassionate God, a God that says, Paul, Tony, Robert, Sarah, Mary, whatever your name is, I love you too much to leave you the way you are. A God that says, my son, my daughter, do not let this hardship seem trifling in your eyes, the hardship that has come upon you. I love you. Yes, your fathers did wrong. Yes, your mothers did wrong. Yes, you have followed in their footsteps and you're in great distress. I'm in verse 37. However, if you confess your sins, I am just to forgive them. If you repent and turn from your wicked ways, I will fill you with my spirit like I did those before you. Not because you're scared, not because you're afraid of the consequences, but because my word and my love have captured your heart. As we all stand, I want to wrap this up. I love what Tim Keller says on the matter of confessing our sins. Not a big quote guy, but I love what he says here. Repentance out of mere fear is really sorrow for the consequences of sin. Sorrow over the danger of sin. It bends the will away from sin, but the heart still clings. But repentance out of conviction over mercy is really sorrow over sin. Sorrow over the grievousness of sin. It melts the heart away from sin. It makes the sin itself disgusting to us so that it loses its attractive power over us. Let's pray.
God, we thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you for the word of God that you've given us today. We thank you that you have shown us, God, how we can come before you, Lord, with our sins, that you want to hear from us, Lord. Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, that because we have, have you as our Lord and Savior, Lord, that you are a God, Lord, that says, come to me, come closer, and you want to hear us. You already see it. You already know it, Lord. But you want us to put on that sackcloth, Lord, and to mourn the sin, Lord, that so be easily besets us, Lord. And so, God, as we come forward today, Lord, in this time of Advent, in this time of thinking about our Lord and Savior and all that you have done for us on the cross, Lord, what little do you ask of us but to come to you, to confess, to bring ourselves before you so that you are pleased and that you can turn around and use us and do something for your kingdom and for your purposes, Lord. God, we love you. God, we praise you. God, we adore you. In Jesus' wonderful and glorious name we pray. Amen, amen. and amen. i 
remember you're not picking up your kids today. You're leaving them forever. <laughs> um, but they will be right in here and it'll be about 30 to 45 minutes. Receive the benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his presence with great joy and sacrifice. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a good week.